If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. What we want to do today is we're, this is the uh, one-year anniversary of, of the Next Resource Initiative. If you're new here, this is an awesome day to be here because you're going to hear about some cool stuff uh, that we've done and, and the kind of church that we want to be. You've already saw the video, like, man, like adoption is on our heart. We want to resource that. We want to help families. Um, and if you go back, and this is already said, but if you go back onto that, um, into the lobby where we have other information about what we've done and, uh, and where, we're, where we're headed. But the big picture of Next is that Next is, a, is our corporate response uh, uh, to a church that doesn't want to live uh, for herself. It's a corporate response of a church who doesn't want to live for herself, that we want to live for other people. We want to we be a church that's connecting people to Jesus for their benefit and for the glory of God. We don't want to be a church that plays it safe. We want to be a, a, a church that extends, that, that lives by faith. And we've been a community for 21 years. Like God's uh, done a, a great thing in, in our midst. We're uh, four different locations, over 800 people. And we're always seeing people uh, come to faith in Jesus. And we're seeing marriages... Uh, um, restored. And there's a huge temptation for us to rest on the past. So last year, we celebrated our 20-year anniversary. And this is where Next came about. And, and uh, as we contemplated 20 years, we thought, man, this is a point of celebration, but it's also a warning. The average church, uh, it, it begins to plateau at 15, it declines at 25, and it's gone at 40. And the reason why that is... Um, is because in the beginning, when churches are new, they don't have a history. They just live, and they, they're not even sure they have a tomorrow, so they put all their eggs in that today basket. Like We, we, we want to extend ourselves and, and give ourselves, but what happens as the church gets moves on, they get resources, things happen, they get, and they begin to settle on what they are, and it becomes that uh, they, they drift and, and they need to find alignment. And I know that in my life, I drift. I, I need alignment. You know, your car needs alignment so it doesn't go into a ditch. And I have found that my in my own life that I can drift into a ditch without alignment. And those ditches are either self-sufficiency or self-centeredness, that I can begin to make my life about me or I can begin to make my life about what I can accomplish in my own power. And we can do that as a church. We can, we can fall, we can, you, you know, you can do this as an individual, but we can also do this as a church that we can fall into making church about us. We can fall into thinking that, hey, we've, we, you know, we, we, you know, hey, we, we know how to do church. We've been doing this for 21 years, but we're just like, no, may it never be. We want to leverage our, our, our past and uh, into our future and have that be an asset and not a liability. And we're okay with risking. You know, some people say, you know, you want, you know, we want to, we want to keep extending, keep extending, and, and start new things. Well, what if, you know, what happens if you fail? Well, who cares if we fail? I mean, if we fail, if we're not, if we're not the kind of church that's reaching people and seeing new people out, maybe we should fail. Maybe we shouldn't exist. So we don't want to get into a place to where uh, we're just like, hey, it's about us. It's about what we can do. Uh, we want to keep extending, keep extending. And so that's what Next is all about. So we laid that out last spring. We spent about eight weeks walking through some of the things that God would want us to do. And that all led to a day where we made a commitment, where we invited everyone in the church to make a three-year commitment financially to this. And the response just blew us away. Let me give you a couple numbers. 174 households representing 276 adults made a three-year commitment of $1.323 million. Just, just blew us, I mean, beyond what, uh, what we were expecting. And uh, man, today, I just want, what I want to do today is I just want to encourage us, those of us who gave, that you're not crazy. 
Like you weren't crazy then and you're not crazy now because sometimes, you know, you do something, you're like, man, it was exciting. They showed a video and I got all jacked up and like it was amazing. Like I gave a bunch of money and like you wake up the next morning. Was that the right thing to do? Like I just want you to know that you weren't crazy for doing that then and you're not crazy for continuing to do it if you're still on that track. And also just invite those who maybe you're, you're new to us or you, for whatever reason you weren't, didn't participate, that there's still an opportunity to participate. I know there's next stuff everywhere, but one of those cards that you'll see is called a commitment card, which is totally different than a communication card. And uh, But it, on there, it says the word commitment. And then it has what you may want to give today, what you may want to pledge over the next two years. We're uh, year, year one into a three-year commitment, so you catch up and do two years. That represents a total commitment, so what you would give uh, in the moment as well as what you'd pledge over the next two years. And if you, if you kind of have a thought of what you'd want to do, you could fill that out today. And, or if you feel like, no, nah, which I would encourage, to, I wanna, I'm going to pray this over and, and see. You could take this home, fill this out, and you can bring it back. Um, next week and get involved with the rest of us. So what I want us to do, again, I want to tell us, I want to talk to us about uh, how we make decisions and how we're meant to live uh, as Christ followers. And so if you turn to Genesis 13 uh, in your Bibles, Genesis 13, I'm going to look at uh, verses 1 through 11. We're going to compare and contrast two men, uh, two men who made uh, decisions based upon two different sets of criteria, and they had to choose between um, something that was not like really bad and, or really good, but it was like a subtle different choice, and, but they had massive implications on their life. The, the decision that Abraham met, made uh, led to massive prosperity and multiplication and, and a lot of uh, blessing for not only himself, but for many other people. For Lot, his decision led to uh, destruction. It led to pain. It led to suffering. And it wasn't like one guy was smart and the other guy was dumb. Like they were both ambitious. So it's like, you know, don't be dumb like Lot and be smart like Abraham. They both made actually very smart decisions based upon their criteria and how they saw the world. Basically, um, their, their philosophy, their value system and priorities. So the difference wasn't one was smart, one wasn't. It was how they, how they uh, set their priorities. So we're going to look at that. So in Genesis 1, we should have on screen, uh, 13, excuse me, Genesis 13, 1 through 11. So Abram went from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he journeyed from Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been from the beginning, between Bethel and I, to the place where he had been where he had made an altar um, at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. That verse right there, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You should underline that in your Bible. We'll come back to that. That's a very important verse. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so, he, so that the land could not support the both of them dwelling together, for the possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. That's kind of a nice problem to have. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between you and your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Actually, Abram was his uncle. Um, Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go left. Basically say, you choose first. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. Here's a key, this, you might want to underline this one too. Like the garden of the Lord, it was watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor, 
so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and the Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Here's what we've learned about these two men. Let me just kind of compare and contrast. Here's how Lot made decisions. Lot prioritized the financial payoff. That's how he made this decision. And actually, he made a really good decision. If that's his priority, was the financial payoff. This was a very good land. Um, and it was a very good decision. If you kind of read on in Genesis in chapter 19, I mean, um, Lot became one of the most well-respected men in Sodom. But in the process, he shows total disregard, if not disdain, for spiritual things, not by denying God's existence. I mean, we read in 2 Peter 2, verse 7, Peter looks back at the life of Lot. He calls him a righteous man. So he went to church. He was a worshiper. I mean, he was in the pew. He was doing everything he was supposed to do. But when it came to making decisions, how did he make decisions? He disregarded the kingdom of God. There's no prayer. There's no consultation of God and his choice. And the reason he did this is because it, Sodom was where the money was at. So he looks at it and says, man, that looks like I can make a lot of money over there. My family can do really well. We can have a nice house, you know, maybe a big, you know, three car, three camel garage. And like, you know, we could do all that would be a great place to go. But what you're going to see, this is going to play out tragically in his life. Eventually, Sodom was destroyed and he lost everything, including his wife. It was a tragic decision. He, they were so in love with material prosperity that she couldn't leave. It got so ingrained in her. She could not leave, and she couldn't leave it. And so Sodom was destroyed. His possessions were destroyed. His wife was destroyed. Now, look, sometimes God calls us to live in Sodom. Um, it's called the suburbs. And so we, like, we, it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like we, you know, it, it, is this on video? It's not like we can't, it's not like we can't, um, like, don't live in, in bad places. But it's, it's how he prioritized. Lot prioritized the financial payoff. So it's not like he, he couldn't go there for kingdom reasons. Actually, you read on, there's, there's no witness, there's no ministry. Um, he's just there for the financial, and maybe, that, maybe you're there. Maybe this is how you make decisions. So you're in a job. It's actually not good for your family. It's not good for your spiritual walk. There's no margin for you to serve the church. There's no margin because you're, you're running around with this job, you and your spouse, perhaps. You're both working these jobs, and you're working for the financial payoff. And the, and, you're do, and the reason why you're doing this is because it affords a lifestyle that you want. It looks like a well-watered land, and so you're going for it. Or maybe it's with your kids. Maybe your kids aren't old enough yet, but you know, I've got three kids, and they're at this age where it's like the, the opportunities are coming from all you know dance and music and baseball and softball and you know, all these different teams and practices. And, you know, and there's a tension there because on one hand, you want to give these, your kids a lot of opportunity. But on the other hand, um, you know, it, you know how, is this, how is this affecting your family life? How is this affecting your spiritual life? And you got to, let's face it, I mean, your kid is probably not going to major leagues. It's probably not going to happen. But here's what, here's what is true. Your kid is going to spend eternity somewhere. And it is a shame it is, it is a devastating thing. So even when it comes to education, I mean, the prudent thing to do is to give your kids a good education so they can get a good job. But who cares if they become leading men and women in Sodom and lose their soul? And the way that you make decisions will affect their soul. You see, Sodom probably felt like, well, I can pull myself back. And he did, but his wife couldn't. 
the way he led his wife, the way he led his family was that we make decisions based upon thy financial payoff, and it just didn't work. So how do you make decisions? Why do you work where you work? Why do you live where you live? Man, if you, whatever you're good at, man, do, do the best that you can. Make the most money you can. Do the best you can at your job for the glory of God. But do something strategic for the mission of God. Consider, the, consider something else besides the financial payoff. Where do you live? Why do you live where you live? Oh, there's a big backyard. You know, it's a good school. It's whatever it is. Like, those are all good things to consider. But they can't be the primary thing. Well, what is the primary thing? Well, we see in Abraham that, Ab- that Lot prioritized the financial payoff. Abraham prioritized the kingdom payoff. And he sought the Lord. His question wasn't like, where, where can I find the best land? Actually, he went, he, in verse three and four, remember I had you underline that? His first act of, upon coming into a new land was to build an altar and ask God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in this next chapter of my life? He didn't, he didn't look out and say, okay, tell me my opportunities. And then I'll, he's like, God, what do you want? Before I even consider the left or the right, I want to know what you want. And Abram did that in every decision that he made. But it wasn't just in the decisions he made. It's how he saw everything coming his way. So even when, when prosperity and, and blessing came his way, he sought the kingdom payoff. He, he sought God first and not um, his personal payoff. So like in the next chapter, you read in chapter 14, we won't go through all this. Uh, but, you know, Lot finds himself in trouble and Abraham goes on this rescue mission. He, he like rallies people to fight this battle. And, he, and, and in this battle, he wins and he gets these spoils, which basically means he gets all the goodies from the people that he just beat up. So, you know, took their lunch money. And so he takes away, the, and, he, and what he does, at least he tithes. And so what, that's what he does. He goes and he, and he t- it was good back then. It was, uh, he goes and he tithes off this. He gives his first to this mysterious man, Melchizedek. You know, you read the, he's like, who's this mysterious guy, Melchizedek? He was, he was the priest of the Lord. He was the priest of the Lord. And so in giving to this priest, he was really giving to God. You see, on a side note, when you read through the Bible, you notice that when God wants to do something on earth, when he wants to bless people, he has a chosen instrument. And in this time period, this chosen instrument was Melchizedek. Later on, it would be the priestly system that God would bless the world through this priestly system. And then the New Testament, and in the age that we now live, his chosen instrument to bless people is the church. And so when you give to the church, you're not actually giving to the church. You're actually giving through the church because the church is meant to be a vehicle for God's blessing on earth. So that's what Abraham did. And because Abraham prioritized the kingdom first, because he sought the benefit of the kingdom payoff first, guess who took care of Abraham? God did. God took personal responsibility for Abraham's well-being. Check out what Proverbs 19.7 says or 17, excuse me, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. God's saying, I will be the guarantee of that loan. When you give out and when you bless, you're like, what's going to happen to me? You don't have to worry about that because I will make sure that you are taken care of. When you give to the poor, when you lend to the poor, I will repay. Matthew 6.33, this is probably the verse. This is the verse Uh, for how you make decisions. And this is what Jesus says. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God, because a bunch of people were coming to him and saying, God, what about where I'll live? What about where my kids will go to school? What what about my job? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? He says, hey, don't worry about those things. 
You have a father in heaven who loves you and knows that you need them. He takes care of the grass. He, 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 he puts clothes on them. He's going to clothe you. He feeds the ravens, which is basically a, a rat with wings. He's going to take care of that. So he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. But here's what you need to do. You need to first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What are all these things? Everything else. Everything else, all these things will be added to you. So here's what he's saying. When you have a decision to make, what job you'll take, how you're going to pay the bills, you get it to your kitchen table. You know, if you're married with your spouse, you push everything to the side. You, you, you know, just scoot it right off the table. Just let it fall on the floor. And you say, you put at the very center, God, whatever, and you say, honey, if you're married if, to yourself, you say, I am self, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put God's kingdom in his, the kingdom payoff at the very, very center. And we're going to let the chips fall where they may, because we have a father in heaven who loves us. And, and he says that if we seek the kingdom first, that he's going to take care of all these things. And my wife and I were far from perfect. We've tried to live this way and where we've, uh, bought houses and where we've lived and how we handle our finances and where we send our kids to school. We've made on the surface bad financial decisions, which is hard for me because I'm a financial guy. That's my history. I've made bad financial decisions seeking uh, hope, thinking that I was following God. And that's what we've kind of said to each other. We've said to each other, look, we would rather make a bad decision following what we think God is saying than make a good one and ignoring God's voice because that's what Lot did. Lot ignored the voice of God and made a good financial decision. Abraham made a bad financial decision, but he made God. But guess who, guess who showed up in the end? God showed up, and he says that all these things will be added to you. Here's what God's saying. God is saying that when you seek yourself, when you seek your personal payoff, you take care of you. If you seek me first, I'll take care of you. And look, and you know, whatever the percentage is, I'll take God in 90% over me in 100% any day of the week any day of the week. And we see this all throughout the Bible. In 1 Kings 17, you know, um, Elijah, if you're in the Bible reading plan, we read this last week, you know, Elijah comes to this woman, sees this woman. She says, hey, he goes, hey, how's your day going? She's like, it's terrible. Okay, what are you up to? Well, I've got a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. I'm gonna go home, make a cake, and me and my son are gonna eat it, then we're gonna die. Oh, well, I'm doing good too. Like, it was this kind of awkward introduction. And he's like, and then he says something that kind of like shocks you. You know, she just gets ready saying, all I have is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And then Elijah says, give that to me. Make that cake for me and I'm going to eat it. And at first you're thinking like, what's going on there? But remember, he was a prophet. He was God's chosen instrument. So what he was really saying was, give this to God. You trust me with what little you have. You trust me with what little you have. And she did. She gave her last little oil, last bit of flour, made the cake, gave it to him. And the result was God took care of her. She never ran out of oil or flour. And God will do the same for you. He will take care. And that's what he did with Abraham. He multiplied. He multiplied Abraham's um, financial situation beyond what he could ever think or imagine. And here's what here's what's, we learned from, from Lot, is that whatever you prioritize over God, you lose. Whatever you prioritize over God, you lose. He prioritized money first and he lost his money. He prioritized his family first and he lost his family. C.S. Lewis says this way. We'll read it twice because he's kind of heady. When we put first things first, God multiplies second things. Second things are everything else besides God. When we put second things first, we not only lose the first things, we also lose second things. 
When we put first things first, when we put God first, God multiplies our everything else. When we put everything else first before God, we not only lose our relationship with God, we lose our second things too. We lose the benefit of, of them. We lose our ability to enjoy what we have. The number one contributor to divorce is not infidelity. It's money. It's this love of money. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. You know, I've talked to older people, and they'll say things like, you know, as I've gotten older, I've lost my sense of taste. I can't tell the difference between a bologna sandwich and a filet. Like, I just... And that's what happens with, with money. Like you can lose your enjoyment for money. You can lose your, you can, even though you have it, you're not really enjoying it when you make first things first. But if we honor the Lord, as Proverbs 3, uh, 9 says, when we honor the Lord from our wealth and from the first of all of our produce, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Does it mean that we'll get, you know, uh, it's not, you know, like some prosperity gospel. If you, you know, if you do this, God will, God will make you super wealthy. And that's the point. The point is, is God will take care of you. God, if we trust him, God will take care of you. And by making him a priority, by making him a priority with what we, what we give. And this was Cain's problem. You know, Abel and Cain in in the Bible, these were the two sons of, of, of Adam and Eve. And, um, you know, Cain, God accepted Abel's offering, but didn't accept Cain. And Cain got jealous and he killed Abel for it. And when you read that, you're like, well, why didn't God do that? It seemed like, you know, they both gave. And, and you know, we don't know that there's a difference. It's not like Cain, it says Cain gave two pennies and Abel gave 10 grand. It was like they both gave a certain amount. The difference was their priority. Let me show you this in Genesis 4. In the course of time, meaning whenever he got around to it, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at December, when I knew all of what I had and what I need, all my expenses, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn, the very first of what he was a shepherd, of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he disregarded the offering of Cain. Now, when you read that, you're like, well, that's kind of like, God's kind of being you know, a little picky here. You know what I mean? Like he's, you know, can't God do anything he wants? Why wouldn't he give the kid a break? Why wouldn't he like just go ahead and accept his offering? And, uh, and here's the thing that we know. It's not just that God couldn't, um, excuse me, it's not just that God didn't want to accept his offering. It's that he couldn't accept his offering. And it's important, I think, to understand this. Because God, God can do everything. God can do everything. You know, we say that, well, God, God can do anything. Can he, couldn't he done this? Well, God can do everything within his nature. So God can't do things that are not a part of his nature. So God can't lie because God is truth. God, God can't lie because he is truth. He can't change because he's unchanging. He can't be better because he's already best. Here's another thing God can't do. God can't be second because he's preeminent. He can't be second. It's not that he just couldn't accept this. Or excuse me, it's not just that he didn't want to, it's that he couldn't. And we're in the same situation. Abraham sought the kingdom payoff. Lot saw the personal payoff. It's about trusting God. Our giving and how we live our lives, it's about putting our trust in God. I, I heard a story of this pastor was was telling the story about what he, he did something with uh, one of his, uh, the members in the church that was struggling with giving. 
And like, I just don't know if I can give. You know, I don't know if I'll have enough money at the end of the month. He says, here, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. You write a check for what you should give. You write a check for what you should give. And I'll just leave it in my dress, or my, not my dresser, in my desk. And, uh, you know, you let me know at the end of the month that everything's okay. And if anything's okay, I'll cash it then. But I won't cash it. Uh, you can trust me not to cash it between now and then. And they're like, does that seem like a good plan? And the person's like, yeah, it seems like a good plan. And then he's like, well, shame on you. Why would you trust me and not trust God? Why would you trust me with this money but not trust God? It just shows us that we, 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 it's, it comes down to, will God, it's not about like, we're not like stingy people. It's not like, it's not why we don't give, but when we don't give and we don't put God first, it's because it really comes down to, we, we don't, we don't, we're afraid that God won't come through for us. But God always comes through. God always comes through. He wants to bless us. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 says that you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God wants to come and he wants to bless your life so that you can be generous with other people. God's blessed you. And you got to ask yourself, why has God blessed me? Why has God given me this ability? Why has he given me this money? What, why has he done that? He's done that so that you can be generous in every way. And that's what we want to do as a church. We want to ask that question. That's what next level, but why has God blessed us? Why, why have we experienced what we've experienced over these 21 years? It's not for us. It's for other people. It's, it's so, that, so that the world will be blessed, so that St. Louis will be blessed through us to the world. What does lot-style self-centeredness look like for us? It would be to not posture ourselves to grow, to make things about us, to make, you know, to make coming together about us, about what we want and what we prefer and keeping our future safe and, and not putting out any risk. But we want to say, no, we're not going to live that way. We, we want to be the kind of church that's extending, that's pushing out, and we want to be here for investing in others. So what I want to do is I want to just, I want to show you a little bit about what, we're, we, what we've done with the money so far and where we're heading, and then we'll close with a thought about how we can be confident in our future together. So this is, if you can read this, um, the total commitment, as I said earlier, came in was $1.3 million. Um, the total amount that we received um, so far that we, that's come in is $532. Thank you very much for that. The checks are cashed. Um, the, where we've allocated that money right here uh, in four different places. We, we, you know, we want to get behind adoption and, and seeing more churches planted and facility improvements. And there's a facility, the, the newest location that we planted almost three years ago uh, needs a facility. They don't have their facility like uh, we have here in the city. So in the, how we've allocated that so far, these are the totals. This is our hope. And that, that, um, that total matches that total. And this total here matches that total. So what we, this is the present day application. We put a little over 25 grand in the adoption fund. We want to put about another 25 grand in there. We haven't put anything in church planning fund, but as the money comes over, comes, it continues to come in over the next couple of years, we'll do that. Uh, 150 total. We've done some facility improvements a la this stage. And I'll talk about some more and uh, here in a minute. And we want to, there's some more improvements, um, uh, that we need to make, uh, namely in this facility, uh, just some air conditioners and stuff, which is not exciting, but it, it will be, just wait until they don't work. Um, <laughs> then, uh, then air conditioners are really, really exciting. Um, 
and then we again we want to do a, uh, we're going for a facility in Kirkwood, which I'll show you. I'll tell a little bit about that here in a second as well. But uh, about a, almost a half mil, and then another half mil to a, a million uh, allocating um, that money. We'll still have to borrow money to to buy that facility, uh, but that will give us uh, a good head start. So let me show you some of the things that we we've done already. So let me just say, so this is this was the facility. In, in Washington. So when we say that we want to improve facilities, we're not like talking about, we're going to put six flags inside our building, like something. We're not trying to like trick it out, but it's just like, I mean, this is what the, so how many young mothers, do we have any mothers in here? Young mothers, anyone? Well, if you were a young mother, if you could imagine, would you, would you want to take your child into that? You probably wouldn't want to go. That's the way. So we're not, we're just trying to make it. We just don't want it to look like that. And we're talking about, so this is what it looks like now. Isn't that a lot better? A lot better. And Thank you. And then, um, thank you for, <laughs> I'm getting insecure how we spent the money. So we, uh, and then our, then the stage here, which you, this is what it used to like, if it used to be like, if you can't remember what last week was like, this is what it was, this is last week. Um, and this is what it looks like today, except you know, with no one in there. Uh, what else do we have here? So this is, this is where we have a plot of land under, um, uh, under contract. Um, it's right here. This is Highway 44. Uh, this is Watson Road. It's you know, where Chippewa it turns into Watson. And then here's Lindbergh. So it's at a very, very, it's a prime piece of, of real estate um, that I think we're getting a really good deal on uh, near, there's you know, 44 over here, right here is 270. You can't see it, but it's right there. So it's like in a, in a great area. We have that under contract for uh, 950000 And here is uh, the facility, what we hope it look like, a rendering of the facility. And, um, and there we are as a church. You know, there you could see some of your friends. Just so you know, in the future, in the future, there won't be any cars. And so like, <laughs> you, you just, you don't even need to have a car. You just show up. It's just, you get teleported to the church building. So that's, that's, that's phase two of the next resource initiative is, is teleportation. <laughs> so that's a little bit about what we've done. Now, here's a good question for us. Like, how can we be confident this is all going to work out? Because, I mean, not confident, like, you know, we're, are we going to get the building? You know, what about adoption? But, like, you know, going back to, like, okay, Brian, I, I get what you're saying. I need to put the kingdom first, um, you know. And I get it. God's, you know, I trust God. God's going to, you know, I, I trust that God's going to do what he's going to do. But I don't always trust that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And how is this all going to work out? Because t- depending on what you think about Abraham, because you're like, man, Abraham, you know, he's like Father Abraham, you know, and he's, you know, he's in the Bible and he had a lot of faith and, and he did, but, but also he didn't. He's going to mess up a bunch. He's going to mess up royally like five different times, at least, that we see recorded in the Bible. And he was weak and he was frail and he was unsure of himself just like you and me. What I read from you was Genesis 13, where he makes this amazing decision. But it just go a few chapters over in Genesis 15, 8. Abram says, ask this to God. But he said, oh, Lord, how will I know? He's asking the same question you have. Like, Brian, I get it. I know I'm supposed to do this. I've heard this message maybe before. You know, there's nothing new today that you said. But how will I know that this is going to work out? How will I know? He's doubting again. He's not, he's not so much, he may be doubting God, but he's also just even doubting himself. I know who I am. What if I screw up again? I keep screwing up. I can't do the right thing. And he, and he couldn't. He, he messed up a bunch. 
And God answers him uh, in the very next verse, in, in verse 9. And I'll just summarize what he says. He says, bring me five animals. Bring me a cow, bring me a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Cut them in half. Create a little ditch between them two. Cut them in half and let the blood flow from them to make like a little river. And if you're reading that, you're like, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Well, this is how they did covenants. This is how they did contracts. You and I, we do contracts. We write contracts. So if you, you, know, you hire a contractor to do work for you, you, know, you agree on a price and agree on a work, and then you sign the contract. And the contractor comes back to you and says, hey, I want to raise the price. You say, hold on a second. I got your signature right here. You have to honor this contract. Well, they didn't, have, they didn't write stuff down. What they, they did this instead. They did it in blood. So what they, what they, the idea was once they split, cut the animals open and the blood would flow, they would walk in between the animals. And blood would get up on their, on their uh, clothes. Blood would, spl- would splatter on their clothes. And, and essentially what they were saying is like, if, by walking through here and getting this, if I don't, if I, if I don't uh, uphold my part of the contract, if my part of the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. May what happened to these animals happen to me. In fact, the word covenant in Hebrew literally means to cut. It literally means to cut. So they were supposed to make this covenant at sundown. And in verse 12 of chapter 15, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. A dreadful and and great darkness fell upon him, and a smoking fire pot and flaming torch. The same words used to describe God's presence about Mount Sinai passed between these two pieces. So all of a sudden, you know, Abraham's sleeping, you know, he's in his deep sleep. All of a sudden, smoke and fire pass through. And then it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. So God goes through the pieces. But guess who didn't go through the pieces? Abram. Both were supposed to go. But only God goes through. And, and the meaning here is clear. If God, God's saying, if I fail to keep up my side of the bargain, I will pay with my blood. But he was also saying, if you fail to keep up your end of the bargain, I will pay with my blood. I am responsible for all of this. And we really need to think about this. God is saying, I will pay the price if I fail. And I will pay the price if you fail. This, of course, gives us the clearest picture in the Old Testament of what we see, what Christ did on the cross. The gospel uh, tells us um, that darkness filled the earth when Christ died. Abraham fell into a deep sleep. We were in a deep sleep in our sin. Darkness fell upon the earth when Christ died, and, and darkness fell upon the earth during this covenant. And Jesus' blood flowed out of him like a river, just like blood flew out of these, flowed out of these animals. And the question was, was Jesus on the cross dying because he didn't keep up his end of the bargain? Or was it because we didn't keep up our end of the bargain? He died in our place. He bore our pain. And this is where Abraham got his faith. What, the answer to the question is, what, how can I be sure that this is going to happen? What if I mess up? What if I mess up? Who's going to pay for it? God says, I will pay for it. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, the righteous man falls seven times and he rises again. You see somebody fall down. You, actually, it's kind of funny. You see someone fall down a second time, you might get out your phone and take a picture and send it to your Third or fourth, fifth time, you, mean, you start to feel sorry for the guy. This guy is, obviously has a problem. He can't walk. He can't, he can't walk with falling. 
Well, seven times in the Bible, as you know, seven is the number of completion. This guy was like a faller. Like, this is what he does. He, he might as well have said, he, you know, if the righteous fall 7,000 times. But he gets up. Where does he get the confidence to rise up? Where does Abraham get the confidence to rise up? He fell five times. But each time God comes to him and says, Abraham, get up. I still have plans for you. My plans have not failed because I am paying the price for the covenant. When, you, when I mess up, I'll take care of it. But when you mess up, I'll take care of it as well. He pays the price. So you may have messed up royally. You may have messed up your marriage. You may have messed up your relationship. You may have fallen back in the porn. You may have messed up your finances. You're in debt. There's all kinds of issues. And you're like here, like, man, this is amazing what you guys are doing. You know, this is a cool church. You know, they're doing adoption. They're reaching people, planning churches. I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to cheer you guys on. I just want you to know that the failure that you've experienced, you don't have to sit on the sidelines because you failed. But God wants to come back to you, just like he's come to Abraham and says, yes, you have failed, but I pay the penalty for your failure. Now rise up, rise up, and with faith, enter into the promises that I have for you. The greatest sin that you could ever commit is not the sin that's in your mind right now. It's not the sin that you committed. The greatest sin that you could ever commit is believing that God won't forgive you. And I see so many people who just sit back because they feel like their sin disqualifies them. And it's not that your sin isn't a problem, but Jesus paid the price for it. And he forgives you. And he wants to grab you by the hand. And he wants to pull you into what he's doing. And so my encouragement to you is by like whatever your past is, that you can be a part of this. You can be a part of what God's doing on earth. You don't have to sit back and be like, well, that's for everybody else. That's for Abraham and you know, the people who, who keep it all together, who don't fail. Everybody here, here fails. The good news is Christ has paid the price for us so we can rise up. The righteous man falls seven times, but gets up again.